Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for, I thank you for this time of year. Where the name of Jesus is surrounding us, even in the shopping centers and even in the things that we think about. And Lord, today I'm praying that you would help us to unpack this amazing gift of grace that you've given us. Help us receive the gift. Help us just sit with the beauty of all that you've done. And may it transform us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ramping up the Christmas, we're in the middle of a series on gifts, the gift of grace. And uh, my premise is that grace is sorely lacking in our world. And grace in our society uh, is, is kind of, it's like the glue that holds everything together. And when that disappears, it's like people get all angst and there's, there's tension and stuff. But, but grace flows through and softens everything. And so we've been looking at the, the impact of grace on different parts of our world. And today, I want to look at the, the idea of our identity, who we are, and how grace speaks into that. Let me just read you something from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when there was yet none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with me. What, what an incredible psalm. Psalm 139. It speaks to the core of who we are and the gift of our identity that God has given us. God formed our inward most being. The gift. He created it. He knitted us together. We are made in God's image. We are made to be like God. And He's given us something on the inside that is precious and individual, fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, now you and I might look inside and we go, I'm not sure about the wonderful bit, if we're honest. 
But that's not what God thinks. We might look inside and just see confusion or chaos or regret or guilt or anxiety or insecurities and all the things that are just part of the human condition. But what God sees is his, his handiwork, his masterpiece. Do you see that? That's the gift of grace in identity. It's given to us. And so we, we spend so much time unpacking what that looks like in our world, but, but actually it's just given to us. The gift of who we are, from whom we are made from, is the answer to humanity's endless obsession with identity. You have been created, not constructed. Fearfully and wonderfully made at that. I'm going to say that again. It took me a while to write this sentence. The gift of who you are, from whom you are made from, is the answer to humanity's endless obsession with identity. You have been created, not constructed, and fearfully and wonderfully at that. You see, our world is obsessed with identity. You know, even personal branding. You know, my, my brand, my look, my feel. You know, we, we do it through the lifestyle choices and the clothes we wear and the things we do and the brands we consume. You know, like I was thinking of James Bond, right? See, James Bond is a brand. And you could aspire to be like James Bond. So I, I looked up uh, James Bond. And I, there's whole websites of how you can construct your identity around James Bond. You know, you could be uber cool. You can dress the right things. You know what to say and when to say it. You know what sort of watch to wear like, like mine. You know what sort of car to drive. You know, Aston, you know. You know how to treat the ladies. Not so sure about that one. You see, you, you could model yourself on the brand of somebody else. Something that's high profile. Or, or you could follow a, an influencer and try and model your life around someone on Instagram, etc. Or you could be drawn into a subculture and a set of society and, and identify with that particular worldview. We see it all the time. But in all of that, we are desperately hoping that the, the externals might filter inside. We, we, we desperately cling to the, the things, the clothes we wear, the, the people we hang out, the things we say, the, the dress, the car, the house, the externals. We, we're trying to fit that onto our internals. But actually, God has already given us the most beautiful gift, ourselves. You don't need to construct yourself. And look, it's exacerbated minute by minute. Comparisons on social media. Why do I stack up? Do I look like that? Do I feel like that? Did I holiday here? Did I eat that breakfast? Look at this. This guy's eating. You on Instagram, Pete? You should boast of your meat. We could all boast about something, right? But it's exhausting. But what if it was actually true? That we were all created by a loving Father who loves us just for who we are intrinsically, not because of any particular attribute. What if it was actually true that the Almighty God loved us unconditionally for who He made us to be? Because who you are is a gift from God and to the world around you. Your world needs you. 
not some other construction. You've been put here to be you, not some other person. In the Bible, there's so many stories of transformation and re-transformation. And one of my favorites is Paul, the apostle. What a, what a phenomenal story of somebody who becomes who he really is after an amazing transformation. He talks about his identity before and after. He talks about who he was and who he is and, and where he ends up being and the contentment that comes with that. Come with me to Philippians 3. Now, we don't have it on the screen, but this is the key text for today. In Philippians 3, verse 5, Paul lists his identity and his credentials. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You say, what was that? What did I just say? Let's, let's talk about this. Paul is boasting about what he was, about the identity that was constructed. Let me, let me unpack that a bit. He was from the people of Israel. That's his racial background. That's his kind of background. He's, he's the people that he's from, the descendants of Jacob. It's the collective identity of the Jewish nation. That's, that's his kind of people group. That's where he's from. So he's, he used to put identity on his background, his racial background. And you hear this all the time, you know, I'm, I'm an Aussie, I'm, a, I'm an Irish, I'm Italian, or I'm an Indian descent, you know. We kind of, we, it is formed, part of our identity is our kind of cultural, racial background. Now in Australia, we're all pretty confused because we're all probably not from here, except if you're, you have indigenous heritage. But, but the vast majority of us have come from some country or another, so we've got some other cultural background that, depending on how recent or close that is, uh, forms a greater or lesser part of your identity. And it taps into. So for, for me, my cultural roots uh, is UK, you know, British Isles. And, and my worldview is framed by that kind of European culture. Um, many of us are like that. It's, it's just who I am. I didn't have any choice in that. I happen to be a white male. But God is not anti-race. God actually made races. You know that? God is not sort of wanting us to all just come absorb into some homogenous mix. Because right? I've read the end of the story. And in Revelation 7, 9, when all things finish, it says, After I look, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. See that? So, so there, there is going to be races in heaven. Uh, you are, we're not just going to be kind of absorbed into some common <laughs> mix. God loves races. God loves the people groups. He loves the languages. I mean, how many languages did he create? Like tens of thousands of languages. <laughs> it's wild. God, God handcrafted each of those languages and people groups. It's just that when we claim superiority or inferiority around our racial background, we start to get into trouble. So Paul says, I'm originally, I'm Hebrew, he says. 
And then he says, he goes a little bit deeper. He says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. So he's narrowing down a bit. It's his ancestral heritage. He's one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The, the Benjamins, the, the favorites, right? The story goes way back in the Bible. Benjamin was the favorite. Not here. I have four favorite kids. But the Benjamins, and, and they became, you know, the, the heritage of, of Judah and, um, you know, the, the, the southern kingdom, etc. Uh, and so Paul's identifying himself with the, with the special crew. He goes, I was from the Benjaminites. And, and this is that sense of, you know, a devout, pure-blooded Hebrew steeped in the cultural practices. And so these cultural practices are what you do as opposed to who you are. And it would have been the same in Paul's time. You know, so for me, my family is culturally Christian. I could claim that my, I'm from a Christian background. You know, my grandparents kind of were Christian, went to church. It doesn't mean everyone was active in the faith. It just means that I've got this sort of Judeo-Christian worldview that goes back as part of my identity if I wanted to boast in that. And then Paul says he's a, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. She's narrowing it down. I was, you know, I was a, I was a, as a Hebrew, and then I was a Benjamin, and I, I was kind of the, the elite of the Hebrews. I was a teacher of the Hebrews, the cultural practices and what you do and don't do. And then he goes even further. He says, I'm a Pharisee. I, I'm right, right down as a Pharisee. And that was a sect within Judaism that was completely devout and, and highly educated and really zealous for the traditions and the laws. And, and you see in the New Testament, Jesus was biting heads all the time with the Pharisees because they were kind of very, very legalistic crew. Always telling people what to do. What about you? What do you hold dear to you as part of your identity? If you were to kind of open the closet of who you are, your background, you know, what, what do you claim? And when someone comes at a party and says, oh, Tell me about you, you know, oh, well, I, my grandpa, he was from Sicily, and then migrated and then you know we're kind of Catholic background and then we you know what what is it what's your story we've all got a story we've all got a cultural and and racial background and sometimes religious what is it for you here's the deal Paul used to boast in this Paul was asserting some racial superiority religious superiority. And within that, he's kind of sect the Pharisees. He was elevating himself right up here. He was. He used to. <laughs> but something happened. Something happened to Paul. One day, he was on his horse, exercising his superiority, and he happened to meet Jesus. Do you know the story in Acts 9? Man, he was going religiously persecuting, destroying the Christians. And then God shows up in a dramatic way. He falls off his horse, gets blinded for three days. And, in, and like incredible transformation. He probably sees visions and dreams of heaven. And he's transformed in a moment from this sort of arrogant, self-constructed person to somebody who's got incredible difference view 
And he writes about this in Philippians 3, 7. He says, whatever I gained, whatever I had, whatever superiority I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. What? No longer does his racial and religious and ethnic background matter. Because it doesn't matter. Whatever superiority, whatever evidence I had, it, it just doesn't matter anymore because I've just met Christ. Something's happened. I've received the gift of grace. He says, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing, intimately acquainted with, revelation of Christ. It, it, like once he knew Christ, nothing else really mattered. Once he came face to face with Jesus, he realized who he really was. And all the other stuff just kind of disappeared. And then he says even further, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word rubbish is very polite in the English translation. Do you know what it really means? Dog poo. It's like it's got this connotation of something you'd actually throw away, you know. Like me out in the backyard, oh, dog poo. I'm going to get my shovel and pick it up and toss it towards the fence. Not over the fence, towards the fence, in the garden. I'm going <laughs> to toss it. No, I, I want to get rid of it. I don't want it on the lawn. Anyone, any dog owners? You know, am I just making stuff up here? It, it's, it's not just dog poo, but dog poo you want to throw. You get rid of it. Get out. Go. And that, that's, it's excrement. It's, that's the original word. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, all my pride, all my racial, all my religious, all my cultural background. I just don't care anymore. In fact, it's like dog poo. Get out. What an amazing transformation. It happened on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. And so Paul just has completely reoriented his whole world through Christ. And so he, he shifts his focus from the outward markers of his identity to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He considers his former identity as nothing compared to the surpassing knowing Jesus Christ. And then if we pick up other scriptures that Paul has, we start to see incredible things. He really does believe this. For example, in Galatians 3.28, He's writing to the Galatian church, a church riddled with racial tension. They're trying to reconcile the Jewish strand with the non-Jewish strand, you see. Some people in the early church were from the Jewish background. And they used to practice all the Jewish laws. And there was some superiority about that. And other people came into the church from what we call the Gentile or the non-Jewish background who had nothing of the Jewish laws. They were pagans. They were Romans or Greeks or something. And I mean, before, these people would never have associated, never. Like they wouldn't have even eaten together. Like, and, and now they're in the church together. <laughs> What's God doing? And the, you see this tension in the Scriptures. You see it in Galatians. You see. And there's all these people trying to wrestle with, you know, do we, do we act, you know, we still do circumcision? Do we still do the Jewish law? Do we still follow all this stuff? And that's why circumcision is such a big deal in the New Testament, not because it's particularly good to talk about, but it's 
but it's kind of indicating it of all the other laws in the Old Testament. And so here, Paul just finally asserts it in Galatians 3.28. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. I mean, obviously there is. I mean, obviously we're still male and female. Obviously we're still racial background, right? It's going to be in heaven. And obviously there are still people of different status in life. You know, there were still slaves. There were still free people. Just like in our world, there's still different cultural backgrounds. There's still different, you know, educational backgrounds and, and life experience and all that. Obviously there's differences. But what he does say this, he says, really, you're all one in Christ Jesus. To the extent that you're one in Christ, these things just don't matter anymore. To the extent that you receive the gift of grace in your actual identity as, as, a, as a person, as a Christian, you actually start to look beyond all these little differences that our world tries to create. This is so refreshing. You pick up any newspaper, you watch any news report, you watch your feeds. There's so much tension right now. I mean, Palestinian, Jewish. Like, it's, it's, it's racial, it's religious, there's so much baggage, there's so much background. Ukrainian, Russian, my goodness. Like, like it's, it's racial tension. It's land, it's, it's what went on way, way back. Our own nation is the same. What would Paul say to us? He says, there's no Ukrainian, there's no Russian. There's no Palestinian, there's no Israeli. There's no indigenous, there's no migrant. He says, you're one in Christ Jesus. You're one. And to the extent that you're one, that means unified together, the more you do that, the less the differences matter. The more you come together around Christ and the unity we find in Him, it just doesn't matter if I'm male or female, black or white. It just doesn't matter. And neither does it matter what kind of identity I try to construct. It goes on. Well, I've got to keep an eye on the time. Don't I? Let me just share one more. Paul, Paul is passionate about this. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. He says, from now on, though we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, we don't, we don't look at people according to their externals. That's what he's saying. We don't look at them according to their, their physical stature, their earthly stature, even though we once did. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. If you're in Christ, there's a new creature inside of you that just does away with all this old stuff. You don't have to worry about that. Even though we once concerned about race and religion and all the different things. This is freedom. The old has passed. The old divisions, the old stuff has passed and the new has come. You see, Paul is passionate about this because it was his journey. He walked the journey from superiority right through 
to count it all but dog poo. And the rest of his life was lived in absolute obscurity, in danger, in prison. But you know what he writes in the back of Philippians? He says, I've learned the secret of being content. Here it is. Well fed or hungry, rich or poor. It just didn't matter to him because he found something far superior to anything that he could ever find in this world. He laid it all down. And even though his life on the outside looked like a complete failure, really. I mean, who ends up in a Roman prison? Who's executed? Yet his legacy lives on as the author of so much of this, as as one of the, the key thinkers of the early church, as someone who's, who's founded and, and took the message of Jesus and, and unpacked it for our world and explained it. Phenomenal, phenomenal. He would never have done that if he held on to his identity outside of Christ. Can I get the users to come up? We're going to just take a few moments here. I've got some time. There's a few things I want to, pray into this morning I'm going to spend some time I've got some communion in a few moments and soon I'm going to invite you to come and take that and also to receive prayer for anything but here's some things that I really believe that God is wanting to to help us apply from this message one is broken identity So many of us are broken. We're all broken. And so often we're broken because of what somebody has done to us. Broken because there's 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 an impact either in our childhood or later in life. And, And so many times we're trying to live out that brokenness in our new identity. So we try and compensate for that. You know, it's like if you had a father who was abusive. So I'm never gonna be like that. So you try and overcompensate. If you had a teacher who was who was bad, or if you had somebody influential in your life who caused you harm, that damage is so often damages our soul. And and in rewiring it, we try and make things and fix things externally. Right? But actually, the only healer is Jesus. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to take you back to being fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter the kind of context you grew up in. You could have grown up in a really religious and overbearing household, or you could have grown up in some kind of other you know, extreme end of that. But if there's things that have happened to your soul, damaged your soul, only Christ can heal that and take you back. Because He wants you to know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He wants you to know the gift of grace in your core identity. He wants you to experience the refreshing gift of love that nothing else, no other construction can do. He wants you to be found in Christ so richly that this identity surpasses all others and that you live genuinely from the inside out. And the gift of grace inside is what flows through, not you're trying to build on the outside it's it's freedom to stop comparing it's freedom to stop regrets and to find 
our worth and value just because God made us. How, how refreshing would that be? To wake up every day going, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Thanks be to God. What an awesome truth to live out that reality. Not dependent on the externals, but on what Christ has done. And then how awesome would that be to extend that grace to others, to drop our expectations about what other people should be and just to value and love people for who they are. To look through the stuff that we try and build around and construct and just and love the person that God has made. To elevate those who are downcast and, and, to, and to lift up those who are broken. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? You can only really give the gift of grace if you've received it. And the only way to receive it is to ask and to experience the healing that Jesus brings. Now, I know these are deep things. I know there's not a quick fix, but, but start. Start the invitation for soul restoration that you can become brand new. And you can honestly look in the mirror and go, there's somebody made in the image of God. There's somebody deeply loved. There's somebody fearfully, wonderfully made. Can you do that? Could you stand in the mirror, stare yourself in the face and go, I am loved by the creator of the universe without a but. <laughs> oh, but. If only they really knew. You see the gift of grace? Can you? Could you receive that? Could you see yourself with the eyes of God? Could you experience His passion and love for you? Could you stand with Paul and say, all the rest is just dog poo. Except for the surpassing value of knowing Christ in my life. Soul transformation. Then life would flow out. Gift of grace. You'd be a much kinder, much gentler person. You'd be filled with love and compassion. The world would be transformed. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you and invite you down the front. Lord Jesus, Jesus, these are deep things, Lord God, that we're talking about our, our core, our identity, our soul indeed. Lord, I'm praying for each person here because we are all broken inside, actually. We've all been harmed in some way. We've all not quite together. But Lord, this morning I'm praying for the gift of grace. This Christmas, the greatest gift that we would recover our sight of who we are. We recover the sense of, of beauty and value and worth. Holy Spirit, come and, and cast away the stuff that holds us back from receiving the true gift of grace. Lord, push aside everything in people's hearts that will, would stand against true grace of God that elevates the human soul and that restores the human soul and guides us and leads us. Lord God, right this morning, I'm praying for brand new work of grace, of love, of freedom. Jesus, in every single person here, Lord, that there would be a renewed sense of worth and value because you value us and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Holy Spirit, imprint that on us. <laughs> May that bring a smile to our face, joy to our lips. Lord, this Christmas is one of true joy, not reluctance, not pressure, 
deeper joy. Holy Spirit, come and work something in us this morning. That's off you. Lord, like Paul on the road to Damascus, I'm praying that you would just completely transform us. The old would disappear and the new would come. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.